Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara's Cure Show, where we explore the cutting edge of wellness. I'm Kara Sundland. Certainly, anxiety is pretty common, and it can really sneak up on us when we least expect it. And as parents, there actually are five things we might be doing without even realizing it that can really create more anxiety for our children. Something, of course, we don't want to do. So here to talk to us about that is Dr. Laura Saunders. She's a child psychologist at the Institute of Living in Hartford. Thank you, doctor, for being with us. Thank you for having me, Kara. So this is pretty common, right? Kids with anxiety, uh, we hear about this all the time. It actually is fairly common. So some research uh, projects numbers of about 20% of children worldwide struggle with some type of anxiety. Um, Anxiety really can manifest itself in a variety of different ways. And it can be hard to diagnose. For some kids, it looks like, you know, clingy behavior. For some kids, it looks like like, uh, defiant and tantrums. For some kids, it it comes out in somatic or physical symptoms. Um, And there's a variety of factors that really influence um, the difficulty in diagnosing, which includes like developmental age, language skills, and and the actual symptoms themselves. Yeah, and so these are common behaviors um, but that, that happen. But as parents, I guess we can contribute. <laughs> and that's something I'm sure we don't want to do. And um, number one, sometimes uh, parents want to avoid encouraging avoidance. Can you talk about that? Yes. Yeah, so the biggest issue that, that I you know, hear about it and see um, is school avoidance. It could be avoidance of a lot of different activities, but the activity that is common throughout every child's life is school. And some kids have social difficulties in school. Some kids have learning difficulties in school. And when some, you know, when you have learning difficulties or social difficulties, it creates a a level of anxiety in, in the child. So what happens? They don't necessarily say, I feel anxious about going to school today because Um, I am not getting along with my friends, right? That would be beautiful if they could express themselves in that way. What happens is in the morning, they say, I have a stomach ache. So it often comes out in physical symptoms and really the job of a psychologist and really, you know, parents often are junior psychologists is to kind of assess, all right, is this like you you have a flu, you ate something that upset your stomach? Or is this anxiety? No, what I really like to remind parents is that the physical symptoms are real and valid. Mm -hmm. Your child, in fact, may have a stomachache. Their stomach might be bothering them. There is direct links between the brain and the gut, right? And the uh, anxiety centers. So they may, in fact, have a stomachache. But what you, so you don't say, no, you don't have a stomachache. What you say is, I hear you have a stomachache. I'm it must be uncomfortable, right? So you you validate it. And then you say, but let's get you to school. We know it's not because you have a flu or virus or anything else. Let's get you to school, get through the first couple of hours. If you need to see the nurse after that, you can see the nurse and then we'll discuss it, right? So that you don't get into this pattern of saying, okay, fine, just stay home because then boom, they've act, their anxiety has got them to avoid what they didn't want to do anyway. So would we say to them, this is a symptom of anxiety. You may have a stomach ache, but I I think you're a little bit nervous about this test or what happened at the lunch table yesterday. Um, Do we play junior psychologist and say, I'm going to have you go because this isn't COVID or this isn't the flu and and we have to go. Um, You know, I can picture in my house, the kid would be pushing me, but I can't go. It hurts too much. 
Right. And, and I mean, that's where you kind of have to use your parental intuition. If you really believe they're not well, right. then that's a different story. But th- what you're looking for is patterns of behavior. Mm-hmm. And so when the pattern is every morning or every Monday morning or every Friday, whatever it is, you're looking for patterns. And the pattern of behavior is every morning they're coming to you with a stomach ache. I'm going to probably guess in that situation that it's that it I understand their stomach hurts but the stomach ache is not related to a deeper physical symptom. Right. So we go with the, the most obvious, which is, I understand your stomach hurts. It must feel uncomfortable. However, it's important that you go to school every day. Are, is there something you're worried about? And they, you know, they, again, based on their developmental age, they might say yes or no. And so the, the option is then to say, okay, well then let's get you to school. If you can't identify it, let's get you to school and then look at what we need to do to help you get through the day. And it might be checking in with the nurse in a couple hours and seeing how you feel. Um, very often it's that initiation that really causes the difficulty. Um, so once you get into the activity, you get into school, um, it can be better. Yeah. And I think just even teaching parents um, and validating that we actually may have physical symptoms. I mean, uh, that's where I think it gets a little tricky because we're so uh, we're so attuned to say, well, I don't know, is are you sick or not? But that it's normal, I guess, for anxiety that for some people, like your kids, they might actually have a real stomachache. And and I think I've seen this in my kids. I was like, oh, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I feel like those are actually can be symptoms when you know they don't have a fever, you don't have anything. Um, and we can get sucked in as parents or go, if you're going to throw up, I shouldn't send you to school. But it's more like maybe you give them a few extra minutes or, or you know, because so often they fight back. So I, I, that's why I'm trying to say to parents, I guess, number one, that we, we validate that actually we can have physical symptoms and then be how we're going to handle that. Yeah. And so and again, you're looking for patterns. If If they go to school great every day and then one day it's like they're like, I feel nauseous. I feel ter-. I'm like, OK, well, you you really could could not be well. I understand that. Um, but when it's the every Monday, right, that, or you're seeing it a lot, that, right. that stomach upset, but, but you're looking for patterns. And so when the pattern is the physical symptom and it could be a headache. And again, they might really have physical symptoms. I'm not saying to invalidate the physical symptoms. No, you don't have a headache. I'm not saying to do that. Right. Yeah. I understand that your head hurts. However, it seems that your head hurts every morning when you try, when we try to get you to school. So, let's have a glass of water, here's some crackers, and then let's get you to school. And if you're still having difficulty in two hours, go and see the nurse, um, and then we'll discuss it. Yep, yep. So the other number two you have, shying away from conversations about feelings as far as how we, we're talking about how we might inadvertently, we're all good parents, we might inadvertently be contributing to anxiety. And number two is shying away from conversations about feelings. Um, how do we do that as parents? So it, it is it is having sometimes those difficult and uncomfortable conversations. It is saying things like, well, you know, I sometimes feel upset when, you know, I have an argument with someone, right? So, so you're actually helping your kids pair and identify when X happens, this is how I feel. And so by doing that and by teaching our kids, again, because we are the ultimate role models, we're really looking at what what we need to do to teach them how to identify how they feel and then 
express it and share it and make those connections. And so sometimes it really starts with parents saying, you know, oh, well, when this happened to me, this is how I felt. Um, you know, it's, it's talking about worries or anxieties or successes. So it's not just, you know, there's not just negative emotions, but all sorts of emotions. I feel happy when, you know, I, I go for a walk in the middle of the day, what, you know, whatever it is, it's really helping our young people identify those feelings. So just us being that good role model, which I know that's a theme that we're going to be talking about, but when we, we are, rather than, so often we're rushing around, or maybe you're trying to project that you are got everything under control as the parent, um, you're suggesting instead it's okay to share that, hey, I'm feeling pretty anxious today. I have a big thing at work, and uh, I didn't sleep too well last night. Um, doing that yeah. actually normalizes it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, it's hard for me to sleep last night. I had a lot of different scenarios or scripts running through my mind or I had a lot of different worries. I was. And so then I, you know, I got up, I went to the bathroom, I had a glass of water. I took some deep breaths and then I was able to relax. Right. So you can also talk about the strategies. That's even better. Yeah. OK. And that's part of it. We want to we want to we need to learn the strategies ourselves and talk about it. Um, let me let me just take it one step further. There are some kids who might have ADHD or ODD. And and so, you know, they can react in big ways. You know, they might have more emotional reaction. And so I think the tough thing for parents is these tough emotions arise and the kids melt down. They might curse. They might swear. They might really get big. And part of it is like, okay, I want to validate what you're feeling, but this behavior is a problem. And so how do we navigate that so that, A, we're not getting triggered, and B, you know, the sequence of events so that you can maybe help not have that keep happening? Right. So, I mean, some of those situations get a little more complicated, but they're not uncommon. So that I really want to point out, you know, all children have different reactions. As I said, you know, not all children, you know, have somatic issues when they're anxious. Some children get pretty defiant or pretty difficult. And that's actually how they show their anxiety. I think for yourself as the parent, it's really saying to yourself, okay, I've seen this before. I know what this looks like. I know, you know, and then try to manage it. Right. And sometimes in those situations, we're not controlling it. We're managing it. And I tell parents all the time, all you need to do is stay one step ahead, not five steps ahead, one step ahead. You've seen this before. You know, one of the things in those situations is not engaging in the power struggle because that's what the child wants. They want to engage in that power struggle because that gives them the kind of emotional boost to keep going. So it's stepping back from that power struggle. I'm going to go into the other room. Let me know when you're ready to talk or let me know when you can use a a inside voice or let me know when you can use a calm voice and then we can discuss this. So remove yourself. You don't need to engage in that power struggle or that battle. And that, and by doing it, if we're being really present and doing that um, and managing our own triggers, by doing that, that's exactly what you're talking about. We're managing how we manage emotions. We're showing that it's, let's take a pause. No one's benefiting from this right now. Right. I will tell you that nothing gets solved when two people are screaming at each other. Mm. That's a good thing to remember, right? <laughs> and there is that tendency to be like, but I'm the parent. You have to listen to me. Um, but that's just engaging in the power struggle. Well, yeah. I mean, as the parent, I need to set the structure, provide the rules and guidelines, follow through and manage things and supervise. Right. I, I As a parent, you have responsibilities. Yeah. But arguing about things doesn't really solve in the moment Sometimes it's stepping back when emotions are calmer 
I sometimes call it emotional arousal, right? Like when your emotional arousal is at a lower level, it's much easier to think and reason than when your emotional arousal is at a high level. No good thinking happens at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So number three, this is a big one. We all have people like this in our family. I think sometimes you might have one parent who's really the cautious one, the other one less cautious, but being overly cautious can actually trigger anxiety in children? So, yeah, I, I, I uh, in a great day, I gave the very gendered, uh, and I admit it was very gen, you know, very gendered response, right? When kids go to the playground, um, moms say, be careful, and dads say, have fun, <laughs> right? And so, so, I mean, that's a very overly simple example, but we want to make sure that we don't um, go to what I call catastrophic thinking, like worst case scenario all the time. Because if we're thinking about worst case scenario, we're potentially triggering anxiety in our children. Well, what if I go to the playground and someone tries to kidnap me? Actually, I mean, I don't want anyone to get kidnapped, but it's a low probability event. You know, what if I am standing under a tree and it's raining and then lightning strikes me and I die? It's a low probability event. So we don't want to create a lot of catastrophic thinking in our children. Now, it's okay to provide information about, you know, good decision making. If there's thunder and lightning, don't stand under a tree. Um, You know, so you can provide information when I'm at, you know, when I'm playing on the monkey bars, use two hands to hold on. Okay, you can provide information. Um, but not say, you know, I don't want you to go to the playground because every time you go to the playground, you break something. Well, that's probably an overgeneralization. That's another, I call these cognitive distortions. Um, we should do a segment on cognitive distortions because yeah. I love to talk about those. Um, so, so, you know, it's just being mindful to not take your anxieties and project it onto your children. So one example that you gave, which I think will make sense to people, is um, I think, right, it's engendered, it's it's part of our human condition probably to try to scare our kids, um, to make them behave, right, or using fear, using shame, using, you know, like, don't ever do that, or if you do this, so smoking will give you cancer and disfigure your face, you could die from it. You actually say that's probably not the best way to explain the dangers of smoking. <laughs> Well, and that might be true, right? Smoking is really dangerous. But the problem with smoking is that it's really dangerous when it's done over a period of, you know, two dozen years. So, you know, no one's going to feel the immediate benefit. But you can say things like, be careful, you know, be careful if you're offered a cigarette. Remember, your grandmother died, you know, of lung cancer. And I want you to make good decisions, right? So you're kind of giving information, um, but not always trying to be so, you know, so catastrophic or scare your kids. Um, because when you do that a lot, actually what it does is it sort of waters down your message. Okay. Don't want to over scare. Um, I'm thinking, uh, some grandparents might have that habit, uh, all the time. <laughs> you might, you always have, the, you have a few nervous Nellies in the family. Um, I just want to speak to our crew right now and let them know I'm seeing, um, something else other than Dr. Saunders. I hope that's okay. Let me know if it, if, if it is, um, I still hear it. Okay, good. Yeah, it is okay. Dr. Saunders. I just want to make sure we're doing it well here. Um, all right. So, um, for those of you who are listening on the podcast, it just doesn't matter. But I want to get to the um, how we handle that instead. So it's better to give information and 
you know, I'm going to use one more example in my own family I can only think of. You know, I happen to have a husband who grew up at the time when he probably saw the movie Jaws too early. So he really has a lot of anxiety about the ocean. And I'll tell him a million times that, you know, sharks are, don't generally prey on humans. It's always a case of mistaken identity. But if you grew up going to the Cape, you saw the movie Jaws when you were eight or nine, and now there's all these other shark things going on, um, um, you might inadvertently transfer that to your kids. So... Instead, if you know you're really anxious and scared of something, you don't necessarily want to project that on your kids. I always say, I want them to enjoy the ocean. I don't have a fear of it. Um, but I guess we have to check ourselves and maybe be one step ahead of ourselves of like, what am I irrationally afraid of? So I don't give that to my kids. Right. And and I always think of things like in, in terms of like statistics or probability, like I, you know, I don't want myself or anyone else get, to get bitten by a shark, but if you're swimming on Cape Cod, it's a low probability event. So the likelihood that it's actually going to happen is very low. Now, that doesn't mean you, you know, do something that, you know, jump out into the, into the, the sea when you know that there's chum that's been thrown off board and there's sharks around, right? I mean, right. You're, yeah. you're creating a high probability event there, but it's about using your your mind to create some caution and some problem solving but not trying to overly scare our kids because then it just creates a negative experience right and that's why you know a lot of those scary movies and and you know yeah i i grew up in that era of seeing jaws and then it just makes you take pause sometimes <laughs> in the steven ocean. spielberg has um, apologized for that movie for projecting all the anxiety onto the world <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, because it actually vilified sharks and sharks are not as bad as they were made out to be. But um, so it's just being mindful as a parent not to take our own fears and anxieties that may not be grounded in reality and putting it onto our children. Number four, refusing to cope with our own anxiety. It's a, a slightly different here, but that we really are role models. And I, I mean, I see this as a mom every day that you realize you made a, a mistake or, or maybe you said something good and you hear it repeated. Like within days, they're saying what you just heard yourself say. So our children like really pick up what we do, right? So we have to be careful with our own body language and our words. Yes, our, our words and our body language really give away a lot about kind of who we are and what is important to us. And for the most part, I think it's, it's important to just keep check on our own anxiety and our own worries. So the more we can, um, you know, not project our worries, like take our worries and put them onto our children by engaging in some of the things we've talked about, like overgeneralization or catastrophic thinking, um, you know, there sometimes are dangers in the world. So I'm not saying we live in a, in a, you know, pristine environment without any dangers, but I, I don't want my child to step outside the house and think that danger is lurking wherever you go. Right. And if that's how you're thinking, I would be worried that you might be struggling with a little bit higher level of anxiety than what is typical. Mm. And you might need to have that treated. Okay. Well, and that was going to be one of my next questions is anxiety is super common. And you've mentioned this before, just because we're anxious doesn't necessarily mean that we need to go into major therapy or take medication, but we might. So especially as an adult, if we, um, you know, here we are noticing anxiety in our kids, but we haven't gone to our own doctor or we haven't determined, you know, maybe we've been living with anxiety so long, we just think this is how we are. How do we know if we might need some help? 
So here's the guideline that I use. Um, and this is a good guideline, whether it's depression or anxiety, whatever um, mental or emotional issues you might be struggling with. Does it hinder your functioning? Right. So is it is it now hard for you to engage in a relationship and stay committed? Is it hard for you to get yourself to work? Are you you know not able to hold on to a job? Are you really struggling with serious somatic symptoms, physical symptoms each day that are not related to a medical issue, that they're related to a, a, an emotional issue? Um, and so if you are emotional issue is hindering your functioning. It's hindering your ability to be a good partner or a good parent or, or good at what you do. Then that's the time to seek some professional help. Mm-hmm. And while we're on that topic, let's just talk about medication. People have their own fears about medication as well. More maybe now than um, used to be the people were, okay, the doctor gave me this good. And now there seems to be sometimes a lot of resistance. And, and uh, this is a show on a lot of times we talk about holistic medicine, and I totally agree that we want to exercise, we want to eat right, but there's sometimes there's a lot of fear about giving medication to our kids or taking it ourselves. Can you talk about that? Yes. So I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a psychologist, so I don't prescribe medication, but I work with a lot of folks, folks who do take medication. And, you know, antidepressants or, or low-level anti-anxiety or even stimulants, which is what's used for ADHD, are some of the uh, most well-researched and studied medications in young people and adults. And, you know, you do want someone to evaluate your um, if your symptoms and determine if you need medication. Um, but medications are not also, I like to remind people, they're not magic pills and they don't make all your problems go away. You still need to, you know, actively engage in uh, behaviors that help you every day, um, but they really can be life-changing in terms of giving you either, you know, taking the edge off your anxiety so you can think more clearly or help lift your depression from being a level 10 to just a level six so you can function and get yourself to work and be a good parent. So medications can really help improve our functioning, um, but they don't solve all the problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that it might be important that if you can improve your functioning so that you can learn some of these other softer skills like you've taught us, like move a muscle, change a mood, or getting good sleep, right. or all of those things, if you can't get that on your own, sometimes, um, as, you've, as we've talked about, pills and skills together. But I think it's important you mention that because I, I hear that all the time with moms. Like, oh, no, I'm never giving him that medication. I'm not going to ruin his brain forever. I'm not going to. And there's a lot of fear, which sounds like maybe unfounded, because when we talk to people in the community like you, um, these medications often are well studied and you want the right you want the right doctor and all that. You want to take the right precautions. But there might be a lot of maybe unworthy fear about the idea of it. Right. And honestly, I think some of this taps into the stigma around mental health, okay. because if someone had high blood pressure and they, you know, they were told, OK, just, you know, make some changes in your nutrition and your diet and exercise regularly. Oh, wait, your blood pressure is still not going down. You're going to need to take medication and do those things. People have less resistance to that. Um, but when it comes to mental health, people, there's a lot of myths around you should just be stronger or you should just overcome it. Right. So sometimes that's those statements are really examples of the stigma or the discrimination in mental health, that it's something that you should just get over. OK. Number five, sending mixed messages. Parents uh, convey ideas for your children through what they say and do. So I. <laughs> 
I mean, who hasn't done this, right? Do as I say, not as I do. So sometimes we're not the most consistent either. Right. And so, you know, we want to be as consistent as possible. Um, There is actually a concept and it's called the good enough parent. Um, And so you don't have to be perfect. And it's okay to say, we've talked about this, right? I'm sorry, I handled that poorly. This is how I'm, I'd like, I'm, I'm going to try to handle it next time, right? It's okay to, to show and, and talk about corrective action because obviously you want to teach your children that as well. Um, so, you know, and you don't want to say to your child, yes, I want you to, you know, be a kid and be well-rounded, but, you know, study, 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 study because you need to get good SAT uh, SAT scores and good grades to get into a good college, right? And I'm not saying those some of those things aren't true, but I just want you to be careful about the messages that you're sending. Um, and it also is about knowing your child, knowing which kids need a little sort of oomph to kind of get them going and which ones are already super kind of perfectionistic and highly motivated. Mm-hmm. And those are the kids you need to dial back a little bit and say, I need you to relax a little bit and not worry so much about this. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned earlier, we are sort of junior psychologists. <laughs> I know we haven't gone to the schooling <laughs> as you have, but we do know our kids. So trust our, uh, and, and we learn, right? I mean, our kids are often teachers for us. So we know when we see uh, in them and we want better for them that we might be noticing, okay, I've got a lot of anxiety I need to deal with, or I'm not doing, you know, we, it, it, it works both ways. So I guess what you're saying is we really need to observe ourselves first and then do the best we can to show that good role model to our kids. Kara, parenting's the hardest job in the world. Thank There's you. There's no <laughs> job that's harder. And, and, but we also need to try to learn, make changes, and grow in our own emotional development and not just, you know, carry over, you know, the, 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 uh, the problems from the way that we were raised and just reenact them in our own families. So, it's being reflective about, you know, what I do. This, when I do this, it's helpful for my child. When I do that, it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a level of self-reflection that I think is really important in parenting because we want ourselves to get better as parents just as much as we want our children to learn. Yes, absolutely. I love that you say that our expectations we place, um, you know, might not always be realistic. We got to think about that. And adjusting our perspective requires personal soul searching. I agree with you. It is the hardest job, but it's probably, I would think, the most rewarding job as well. And just, uh, I love that you say we can be good enough. So because we're we're learning as we go here. There's no, as I often say, there's no instruction booklet, but just being aware that what we're doing is definitely sometimes affecting, projecting, triggering our kids. Yes. And, and I think the hard part about parenting is that the rewarding part is not often obvious, right? It takes a long time to see the results of your efforts. Um, so it's not like, you know, you spin a wheel and you, you know, you win a prize. It's a lot of effort for a longer term reward. So it's having a different kind of vision on that. Dr. Laura Saunders from the acclaimed Institute of Living with Hartford Healthcare here in Hartford. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing these five tips that can really help parents understand how we might be triggering our own kids' anxiety. We appreciate your time and wisdom as always. Please take care, Kara. You too. And if you want to find some more information on the cutting edge of wellness, please follow me on social media. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Kara Sundland. There's also a Facebook group uh, called Kara's Cures. We love to post this information there. You can join the conversation. Have a great day, everyone, and be well.